Well, uh, May 4th, 2008, if my mother was alive, it would be her birthday today, but uh, she's gone on to be with the Lord. But at any rate, our uh, subject this morning is the last of the fourth part of Raising Responsible Children, and the text is Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, which reads as follows. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son, in whom he delights. God bless the reading of his word, and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and for his ability to explain your word. So, Lord, give us the words to say and let us say them with liberty, with clarity, and with boldness, and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, thank you very much for coming to hear the message for today. And before we begin this, our next lesson, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. Now, our continuing subject has to do with the academic achievement gap between children in our community and those in the majority community. We are discussing methods of preparing our children to bridge this achievement gap, bringing our academic achievement level up to par with that of the larger culture. And in previous sermons, I've made the point that two children actually need two parents, one male and one female, in a hands-on relationship. And children are best served if the two parents are actually married to one another. Hebrews 13 and 4 tells us marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. And I've also made the point that infants and toddlers do better with a hands-on supervisory parent than they do in an institutional setting, such as a daycare center. Children younger than school age are simply not emotionally prepared for an institutional setting. The design of God is that a child be raised by a hands-on parent that can devote their primary attention to the child when attention is needed. God makes the point rhetorically in Isaiah 49 and 15 in which God tells us, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. And the point that I wish to develop today is that in order for children to succeed academically, children need character development prior to and in parallel with academic development. Our text, Proverbs chapter 3, 11 and 12 says, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Now, the Lord corrects errors in character development. In his word, God gives us objective principles for behavior that he expects us to follow. The Ten Commandments, the Beatitudes found in Matthew chapter 5, and the New Testament epistles have nothing to do with academics, but describe to us the character 
with which we are to live our lives. Now, academic success has to do with the ability to remember objective facts. Character development has to do with applying objective biblical principles properly in order to live in the way that God has ordained. Character development allows us to know whether or not it is proper to do that which we desire to do. Now, it is relatively easy to obtain knowledge. God equips us with a brain that can retain any information required through simple rote memorization. Neither of my parents have any musical aptitude, but when my two brothers and I were toddlers, my mother decided that we would learn to play the piano. My brothers and I started taking lessons when I was four years of age, and although we had no hereditary talent, all three of us became skilled musicians through rote memorization and persistent practice. <clears throat> and I'm of the opinion that any person of average intelligence can learn any skill if given enough exposure to the techniques required and enough practice. Desire to learn a skill plays a certain role when we become old enough to decide whether or not we want to learn. But if a child's training is started before they have reached the age of willfulness, spaced repetition will allow the child to learn the skill by the simple training of muscle memory. If any person of average intelligence repeats information enough times, they will memorize the information. In the Methodist church in which I grew up, the communion liturgy, liturgy involved reading the 53rd chapter of Isaiah responsibly. On the first Sunday of virtually every month from the time I was six until I was 14, I read this chapter of scripture along with the rest of the congregation in the church. I memorized the 53rd chapter of Isaiah by simply reading it in a liturgical setting once a month for eight years, and I still know it today some 40 years later because of that early training. So both physical training and information retention are matters of persistent practice. So the question of how our children can match the academic skill level of those in the larger community is not really a mystery. All it requires is sufficient exposure to academic subjects. In the mid-1950s, when my brothers and I were starting school, my parents bought a home in a subdivision on the far south side of Chicago. One of the major expressways in Chicago divided the neighborhood. The new subdivision to the south of the expressway was a predominantly black community, while the older established subdivision to the south of the expressway was predominantly white. My father picked this neighborhood because the neighborhood school was in the white community so that we could go to school with white children. My father told me that the important thing was for me to be in the class with them. Dad used to tell us, if you are in the class with the white kids, you'll get the same books and you'll hear the same things that they do. If you're in the classroom, the teacher can't teach around you. So children in the African-American community, by and large, have the intellectual ability required to match the learning level of those in the majority community given similar circumstances. If we are in the room with them, if we have the same books and listen to the same lectures, we cannot be taught around, and we will have the capacity to remember the same information as anyone else in the class. So in my opinion, 
A lack of intellectual ability in our community is not the reason for the achievement gap. We seem to have no problem learning whatever we want. So if we fix the problem of character development, the academic problem will virtually fix itself. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father the son in whom he delights. Now, chastening and correction has to do with creating respect for authority in the person being chastened. The key to a successful learning environment is that the learners show respect for the authority of the teacher without which the learner will tend not to be receptive to the lessons being taught. Long before I reached the classroom, my parents provided a learning environment for me. I was born into a home in which my parents were married, provided me with a stable environment, and disciplined me to be respectful, to listen, and to learn. Since my parents had the objective of developing character in me, they made sure that I was chastened and corrected if I chose to treat someone disrespectfully, which motivated me to deport myself properly. Once my character development was in place, I saw the benefit of disciplining myself to acquire the information that the adults in my environment were trying to impart to me. Proverbs 22 and 6 instructs parents that the job of developing a learning environment before the child reaches formal academic training is the job of the parents. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That first training should be spiritual character training rather than academic training. 2 Timothy 3.14-17 tells us, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Spiritual character training prepares us for every good work, including academic training. We learn both the techniques of learning and reverence for learning as we initially learn about God and the character development that our spiritual training gives us prepares us to pay attention to the academic training that is to come later. It is important to remember that academic training is a manner of rote memorization, but we develop the wisdom and discipline to perform the tasks required to succeed academically as a function of our parental guidance, which is inspired by God. God is the one that prepares us by giving us the ability to succeed on the intellectual level. An excellent example of this preparation is given in the Old Testament by the example of the great king Solomon. Solomon, one of the 18 sons that David fathered, was David's son by Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. David conspired to have Uriah killed in battle in order to marry Bathsheba, which was a great sin before God. 
But the sinfulness of their union notwithstanding, David's faithfulness to God in repenting of his sin made Solomon one of God's favorites. 2 Samuel 12, 24 and 25 records, Then David comforted Bathsheba his wife and went into her and lay with her. So she bore a son and he called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him and he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. And Jedidiah in the Hebrew means beloved of the Lord, which Solomon certainly was. Now when Solomon became king after the death of his father, there was a great deal of intrigue involved in the kingship of Israel. David, after 40 years, was used to all the plots and counterplots involved in keeping control of the kingdom, but Solomon was an inexperienced neophyte in matters of state. Solomon had many enemies within the kingdom, including some of his brothers, that wanted his throne and were willing to overthrow him. So Solomon used the character training that he received from his father, who was a man after God's own heart. First Kings chapter two, verse one through four records. Now the, when, now the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon, his son saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord, your God to walk in his ways to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. That the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So David told Solomon that God gave the instruction that a king would need to be successful in his word. And in addition to instructions, the Lord also gave a promise to intervene in matters of state on behalf of kings that were faithful to him. Since Solomon had the charge from his father to call upon the Lord, he took advantage of the instructions and did so. 1 Kings 3, 3-9 records, And Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statues of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incenses at the high places. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? 
Solomon recognized his need and asked for the ability to understand, to judge, and to discern the difference between good and evil. And when our children go to school, this is exactly the ability that they need. In secular institutions, some of the information that our children have to learn in order to, in order to succeed academically is not biblically or spiritually accurate and will not lead them to success in later life. As well as the ability to absorb information, our children need understanding and discernment. Our children also have pressure from their peers to forsake the path upon which the Lord wants them to travel. And to keep from being adversely affected by either inaccurate information or peer pressure, our children need understanding, judgment, and discernment. Our children can receive these attributes by submitting to the discipline of godly parents. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So whether we are children or adults, we are blessed to have a God that we can ask for wisdom when we need the ability to discern between good and evil, to judge right and wrong, to understand whether we are walking on the path that he has ordained or not. Solomon asked God in 1 Kings 3, 3 through 9, which you've already read, for the wisdom that he needed to do well. God responded in 1 Kings 3, 10 through 14, this speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor asked riches for yourself, nor asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among all the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So God gave Solomon his objective word, his statutes and commandments, so that Solomon would know what to do. Before and as we ask God for wisdom, it is intelligent to consult the wisdom that God has already given us. Along with instructions from the word, God gave Solomon an understanding heart to apply the word properly to the situations to which his kingship would lead him. Solomon immediately exhibited the understanding that God gave him in adjudicating the problem presented to him in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 16 through 22. The Bible says, Now two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. And one woman said, O my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened, the third day after I had given birth, that this woman also gave birth, and we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. 
So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid the dead child in my bosom. And when I arose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I had examined him in the morning, indeed he was not my son whom I had born. Then the other woman said, no, but the living one is my son and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, no, but the dead one is your son and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. <clears throat> Do you remember the scripture that I quoted earlier in Isaiah forty nine fifteen, in which God tells us, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. The principle that God gives us in Isaiah 49, 15 is that a mother generally has compassion for her nursing child. Now, there are some cases in which a mother may lack compassion, but the scripture indicates that this is not the normative case. Solomon was faced with two women arguing over the maternity of a child, and to settle the argument, Solomon developed a test to ascertain which woman would show compassion to the child in accordance with the scripture. 1 Kings 3, 23 through 25 records, And the king said, This one says, This is my son who lives, and your son is the dead one. And, and the other says, No, but your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. Then the king said, Bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king, and the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to one, and half to the other. Now, this test is on point. Because of guilt and grief caused by her loss, the dead child's mother would be unlikely to have compassion for the living child or the living child's mother. She was already trying to take her housemate's child from her. Solomon concluded that if he offered to deprive them both of the child, that the woman that had already lost her child would vote to deprive her housemate of the child. And the women reacted as Solomon anticipated, as 1 Kings 3.26 records. Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son, and she said, O oh my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means kill him. But the other said, Let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. And after seeing the reaction of the women, the solution became obvious. 1 Kings 3, 27, 28 records. So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. <clears throat> Solomon called on God for wisdom, and God granted him his request. However, the beginning of the wisdom that God granted Solomon was found in 1 Kings 3.14 in which God says, So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. We need to raise our children using the godly wisdom designed to produce good character. Programs that provide our children with academic enrichment will only be effective if the child involved in the program 
has developed a character trait that will motivate him to study diligently and take advantage of the academic enrichment provided. So our real problem is not a deficiency of knowledge, but a deficiency of character. The knowledge is always available if the character can be corrected. God is fully in control of our environment and can reverse the trend of negative consequences at, at any time, but his word tells us that he will only do so when we repent of the sins that we condone. We cannot have immorality as the norm in our society and expect that God will bless our children as he did when we lived in a time in which the moral standard of society was more to his liking. The solution for a deficiency of character is repentance, which is a fundamental shift in our thinking. This is the only solution for the problems that we have in our institutions of learning. Just as David told Solomon that adherence of the, to the principles of God's word is the key to having a Davidic descendant on the throne, God told Solomon that the people of the land would also need to repent in order for the kingdom to flourish. In First Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12 through 18, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, and do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom, as I covenanted with you, David your father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man as ruler in Israel. If we examine the history of our nation, we will find that the providential hand of God was involved in the establishment of the United States of America. This one nation under God with the ideal of liberty and justice for all has grown great because of the prayers and the devotion to God of its citizens. The problems that we see are the fulfillment of the rest of this passage, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 19 through 22, which says, but if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot them from my land which I have given them, and this house which I have sanctified for my name I will cast out of my sight, and will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And as for this house which is exalted, Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will answer, Because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and embraced other gods, 
and worship them and serve them. Therefore, he has brought all this calamity on them. The foundation of the nation is the family. As we move away from the biblical familial paradigm and no longer consider it immoral that more and more of our children are born out of wedlock, born as the products of poor character, we can look for God to react negatively. As fornication and adultery become more and more acceptable as norms of behavior, we can expect the foundations of our nation to continue to crack. We see that the instability of the home has moved into the institutions of learning to which the illegitimate parents send their children and then into the larger society as the Lord chooses to uproot the nation that has forsaken him. God's laws are not just arbitrary rules but affect the way that we function, much less, much like the law of gravity. We can no more discard law, God's laws about marriage and family life, live intentionally immoral life, and expect to have a good outcome than we can step off of the roof of a two-story building and expect, expect to fall up. God, however, has made a provision for those of us who have come to the repentant realization that we have been living life backwards. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be born of a woman, to give us an, a magnificent example of a perfect and sinless life that we can emulate. Then he sent his son to the cross of Calvary to complete the great transaction of salvation that allowed Jesus to pay the penalty that we owe for the sins that we have committed. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Just as God gave Solomon a spirit of wisdom and understanding, Jesus Christ has given us a spirit that allows us to be free from the death caused by sin. As Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The transaction that improves us, both in the case of Solomon and Jesus, is one that changes our character rather than our academic ability. And while it is good to have programs that give us more ac academic opportunity, in, any in my case, while it was good for me to go to an integrated school and sit next to white children to have the same opportunity to learn that they had, the opportunity would do us little good without the moral and spiritual preparation that we need and that comes from the parents in the home before the child reaches school age. Romans 8, 5, and 6 tells us, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Just as God gave Solomon wisdom, so God gives us access to life and peace. We have the ability that we need but we need to turn away from the things that God forbids us to have to the things that God wants for us. We must discipline ourselves 
to be spiritually minded, as unpopular as that course of action may be with our peers, and take the long-term view that the benefits of walking with God outweigh the passing pleasures of sin. Romans 8, 13-18 tells us, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So secular solution to spiritual situations are useless, like pain medication as a permanent solution for a rotted tooth. The medication may relieve the symptom temporarily, but the pain is going to retain, return until the cavity is repaired or the tooth is pulled. The problem with academic achievement in our community will not be fixed by more books and better programs, but only by a fundamental change in thinking from the perspective of the willful world to the perspective of the Spirit of God. Those who fail in our community do not need to be smarter. They need to be better. The change that they need can only come by the Spirit of God. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ is the answer to the question. It is time for us, like Solomon, to turn to God and his Son, Jesus Christ, and discipline ourselves to his word so that he will hear us from heaven and heal the land. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 tells us, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you for this lesson, and we thank you for this thinking that we have done on the topic of academic achievement. And we ask you, Lord, that we thank you, Lord, that you have given us the capacity, uh, the ability, the intelligence to do whatever it is that we want to do. And we ask you, Lord, that you would now give us not only the intelligence, but that you would give us the character developed, that you would give us the goodness, that you would gather us under the authority of your word, that we might be able to live lives pleasing in your sight, that we might be able to call on you when the test time comes, and receive uh, the answers for, to the test that we need. So that when the, when the conundrums of life come before us, we can make wise decisions and do things in such a way that will be pleasing in your sight and beneficial in our lives. And now, Lord, we thank you for all who are in the house today, and we ask you to give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place and then bring us back once again at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. 
We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Amen and thank God. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning that you have given us another opportunity to come out to your house and to discuss your word. And we ask you, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to, uh, to order our steps in line with your word. Help us to influence those with whom we come into contact uh, that they might also be able to uh, act in such a way that you would find pleasing. We ask you that you would bless our community and those who are in leadership there, and that you would help us to uh, turn away from those things uh, uh, that are antisocial according to your word and turn back toward those things uh, that you would have us to do and to influence those in our community to do so as well. Lord, we're praying for Dr. Allen. We ask you to continue to bless his family. We're praying for Sister Allen, Lord, as she has recently had an accident in physical therapy. And we're asking you, Lord, that that you would uh, bless her body, that you would give her uh, strength, allow the parts on her that she has injured to heal rapidly. Just let down the hem of your garment, let it touch her, Lord, that she might be made whole and that she might suffer no ill effects. And we ask that you continue to uh, allow her physical therapy to reach the account, the ends that uh, she was going through it for. We just ask you, Lord, that you continue to bless in her case. Continuing in prayer for her mother, asking you that you give her strength as she's uh, walking on her uh, broken ankle now. We ask you, Lord, that you allow all those bones to align and those things to knit properly uh, that she might be able to return uh, with the full mobility that she had before her accident. We continue to pray. We're praying for Rosny as well, asking that you bless her and allow her injury to heal as well. We just ask you that you uh, look on the list, look over the list and all that sister I don't have asked us to pray for, that you be in their sick rooms and that you continue to bless them. Praying for those whom my wife is concerned about. We're asking you, Lord, that you continue to bless uh, Mother Jones as she has a procedure coming up this week. And we're just asking you, Lord, that you would go with her and stand by her, uh, allow her to have a good outcome, and allow those uh, the doctors give them skill and give them ability as they minister to her. And we just ask you, Lord, that you would also bless her uh, and, and give her a great recovery, that she might have a great testimony of your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Lord, we're praying uh, for my son's friends, and we're asking, Lord, that you continue to bless Eric and Amanda and their newborn, give them that which they require, that they might be able to um, uh, enjoy life with their son and help, him, help them to train him in the way that he should go. I know that he's young. I know he's just getting started, Lord, but there are some things that, that, in, that they can interact with him even in this young phase, and we ask you, Lord, that you bless them to do so so that when he gets old, he will not depart from your way. Give them, uh, give them a good idea as to how to raise children and help them, Lord, as they go through this first experience for them. Now, Lord, we're praying for uh, Brother Edwards and his family. We're asking you to continue to bless them, and we're asking you, Lord, that you continue to bless Rick, who's over in Iraq, and, I mean, over in uh, Germany. And we just ask you, Lord, that you keep he and his wife uh, close in spirit, if not physically, and allow him, allow them to uh, be bound to go up together with cords of love while he's doing his tour and then allow them to get back together physically uh, as quickly as possible. 
praying for those whom the Lee family is concerned about. We're asking that you continue to bless all that they have on their list. We thank you that things are going well in that family, and we pray that uh, that the, the decisions that they have to make about Cedric's uh, education will uh, uh, be profitable for all of them. We ask you that you allow those who have input on that uh, to treat him favorably and to give all that they can uh, to make his uh, scholarships and his next level of education uh, the type that will be pleasing uh, to his parents. And we pray for his mother as uh, she has social interaction with those in the public school system. And we ask you, Lord, that uh, that you would uh, allow her to be able to endure that, uh, that which people are asking and just give her the words to say that might uh, satisfy her and let them and let, let nothing untoward happen to her because of their decision in the way that they raised their son. We ask you uh, that you'd bless in that environment and, and that you would bless her on that job and allow those children uh, with whom she had to come in contact uh, to be respectful and to take the advice that she's giving them in the way that they should do so. Also continuing in prayer for Brother Thad Wills, ask you to bless him in his case as well. Praying for Brother and Sister Mike, also uh, Darius as he's preparing for the end of his academic career. Uh, we just ask you, Lord, that you continue to bless. And then we're praying in advance for Traveling Mercies as they prepare to go over uh, across the country to uh, witness his graduation. And we ask you that you just give them Traveling Mercies and then uh, allow them to enjoy their time, allow all to go well and bring them back at the appointed time. Praying for the McClure's as well. We ask you that you continue to bless Mother McClure with uh, with a reasonable portion of health and strength, the activity of her limbs, and allow her to enjoy, uh, let the weather be such that she can enjoy our environment here in Lansing. And we pray for her children, and we pray for their children. And we ask you, Lord, that you bless Janelle and JJ as they are uh, finishing up uh, this academic school year. And for Janelle, this particular episode of her academic career, preparing to go to the next one. And we ask you, Lord, that you'd give them uh, that which they require to make the best decision as she uh, uh, considers her next level of education that all go well in that in that case and we just ask you lord that you would continue to bless them with traveling mercies as they are preparing uh, to go down the highway to visit uh, st louis and see the end of that phase of her academic career we just ask you lord that you'd allow these graduations that are coming up to uh, be uh, just wonderful occasions and all the families that are involved in them and we just ask you that you continue to bless in all these cases uh, thanking you, Lord, for Brother Perry, who's received uh, a new job this week, and we are coming up next week, I should say. And we just ask you, Lord, that uh, you'd allow him to uh, do well in his position, and uh, just let him uh, let him take care of all the responsibilities that he has, and so do. Now, Lord, I'm praying for Dad, and praying for the rest of the members of my family, asking you to continue to bless them, go with them, and stand by them, and just give our seniors in Chicago and in Gary there good days, allow them to continue in, to enjoy their time. Praying for the brothers down south who are raising those children, Brother Perkins and Brother Northern. Ask that you continue to bless them as well. well also in prayer for Brother, Brother Porter, who's in the Ingham Medical Hospital. And we're asking, Lord, that you would restore him to his congregation with a reasonable portion of health and strength. We're praying for, also for Diane, who we've been asked to pray for across the uh, internet. And we just ask you, Lord, that you bless in her family for but your opinion, who we've also had communication from, I ask you to continue to bless him as he finishes up uh, his academic career. Just give him direction in the next level of his life. Now, Lord, we pray, 
pray for the television station, for those who are in the armed forces that are in harm's way. We ask you, Lord, that you continue to protect us from the bombs and the bullets and all those things, and that you just put a hedge of protection around them and bring them back home simply to their families. Allow the conflict to come to a, a speedy conclusion with a good end and with the objectives being reached. And we just ask you, Lord, that you bless those uh, who are involved in that and, and on the front lines. Keep them safe and keep them strong over there. We also pray for the young men and women in this neighborhood and for the salvation of our family and friends. Well, now, Lord, we thank you for the place that you've given us here and for these things that we have that we might make your word plain. Help us to continue uh, to do so as we uh, are trying to uh, uh, do a work for you. Now, Lord, I pray for my wife who's the love of my life, bind us together with cords of love that cannot be broken. Just help us uh, as we are walking together down this path for these years. Just uh, go with us and stand by us. Be with us all. And just help us, Lord. Just strengthen marriages here and across the country and help us to influence those who are uh, not involved in marriage but are involved in one another to make the commitment and to formalize it in such a way that it will be pleasing in your sight. Well, now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank God. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ is the key to the solution for sin. He gave himself on Calvary's cross that our sins might be forgiven and that the Holy Spirit might come and indwell us that we might have the capacity to live lives pleasing to God. And as we consider the bread and the wine that he broke on the night before he died, and, and is sacramentally his body and his blood. Let us take it in, remembering that he died for us and that he will live through us. Let us remember all that Jesus Christ has done for us. And let us remember him now as we eat and drink together. May the love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit, resting with the Bible with us now, henceforth and forevermore. Let every heart say, Amen.